previously on Truth and Justice. Kia would walk first thing in the morning, oftentimes throughout the day, and then again when Kenneth would arrive home. But over the course of 15 years, the Pleasant Grove neighborhood was quickly deteriorating. I'm told that in 1991, that it was, quote, not that bad, but you wouldn't want to go out at night. And the neighborhood certainly hasn't gotten any better since then. The neighborhood surrounding Spruce High School now is a scary place to be. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. But the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. In last week's episode and this week's Friday follow-up, we've dug deeper into the possibility that a white Z-28 Camaro may have actually been involved in the abduction and the murder of Kiao Gove. Over the last couple of weeks, Don Watts' police reports has given us some names that might be connected to the white Camaro. Those names have led us to more names, which have led us to even more names, which have ultimately landed us on the term Grove Rats. As promised, in today's episode, I'm going to explain to you who the Grove Rats are and how they may be connected to Kiao's case. But in order for me to explain to you who the Grove Rats are, we first have to start with a history lesson about the Southeast Dallas neighborhood of Pleasant Grove. Before we get into the content of today's episode, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Stamps.com. This week has been an exceptionally busy week, both with me and with my wife, Becky. We've both had a lot of stuff going on, and she had a ton of stuff that had to be mailed out. And thankfully, even with all of the items that had to be shipped out of our offices this week, we never had to leave our desks. And that's because of Stamps.com. Stamps saves us time and money, which we use to grow our business. We can mail any letter, any package, just using our own computer and printer. We put it out front, the mail carrier picks it up, and we're done. Stamps.com brings you all of the services of the U.S. Post Office right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And Stamps makes it super easy. They'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage that you need, and they couldn't be any more flexible or convenient. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We use Stamps.com because our time is important to us. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamp service with a special offer that includes a 4-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in TRUTH. 
That's stamps.com. Enter truth. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. What exactly is Pleasant Grove? Well, technically, now, Pleasant Grove is a residential neighborhood within the city limits of Dallas. But that wasn't always the case. The area was first settled in the 1840s by W.B. Elam, Richard Brutton, and Cornelius Cox. These men are actually still memorialized to this day in the Grove, because one of the busiest parts of the neighborhood is the intersection of Elam and Brutton. The term Pleasant Grove was first coined by a man named Don Lebow. He was one of the first teachers in the neighborhood when a wooden building was put up to house a union church and a school. Lebow named the school after its location, which was a pleasant-looking grove of cottonwood trees. Hence, Pleasant Grove. Around the turn of the century, maps showed Pleasant Grove as a small community that had one store. Then, in 1916, the first brick schoolhouse was built in the grove. And in 1937, Pleasant Grove formed its own school district. As of five years later, in 1942, Pleasant Grove was a quaint little town with a population of around 120 people. But as a result of the post-World War II housing boom, by 1952, the population of Pleasant Grove had grown to nearly 30 times the size of its pre-war population. And by 1953, the population had spiked to around 3,500 people. By the late 40s, the Pleasant Grove School District consisted of 14 buildings, and in 1954, the district merged with the Dallas Independent School District. After putting up quite a fight for nearly 20 years, by 1962, all of Pleasant Grove had been annexed into the city of Dallas. And to this day, many people still residing in Pleasant Grove still consider the neighborhood to be, quote, their own, and do not acknowledge the fact that they are actually a part of the city of Dallas. So that's the history of how Pleasant Grove came to be. So let's next try to learn a little bit about the people that made up the neighborhood. As the population of Pleasant Grove boomed through the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, the neighborhood was nearly all white. Not just predominantly white, we're talking close to 99% white, according to all of my sources. Now by the mid-1970s, Pleasant Grove had pretty much grown into its borders. The housing boom was over, farmland was fading, and the little neighborhood was full of small, single-family homes, which were again mostly occupied by white families. Now this was about the time that the Goves moved into the neighborhood, in 1976. As things have been explained to me, it was in about the mid-1980s when the neighborhood started to take a turn for the worse. Those houses that were quickly thrown up after the war were starting to age and lose value, and the residents of the neighborhood were also aging. As the Pleasant Grove originals began dying off or were moved out of the neighborhood by their families, a new demographic started moving in. Now I'm about to play about a five-minute clip from an interview that I recorded with a man named Lowe Daniels. Lowe is African-American, he was living in Pleasant Grove in the late 80s and early 90s, and he was a gang member. Lowe dropped out of high school and spent the better part of his adult life in prison. He's a new man today. He's no longer affiliated with the gangs. He went back to school to get his high school diploma and is currently attending college. During my conversation with Lowe, I asked him to explain to me, from his perspective, how the Grove's demographics shifted from nearly all white to white and black to mostly black to nearly all Hispanic. 
Now, what Lowe has to say here is really interesting. However, I want to issue a trigger warning. Some of Lowe's language and or opinions may be offensive to you and are certainly not suitable for children. The clip is about five minutes long if you'd like to skip past it. But for the rest of you, here's Lowe Daniels' take on how the demographic in Pleasant Grove changed over the years. The old white folks, that's how we got over here. You know, when I first moved over here, Pleasant Grove was all white folks. All this stuff around me right now was all white, all white. Mm-hmm. My mother and father and a couple directly behind them um, were the only blacks here. And she was married to the lady behind me in the field. She was married to a white man. Even her, her daughter by him is half-breed. You see what I'm saying? Right. So everything else around me was white. But Mr. Jim stayed right here on the corner and ran this door to us. And this other house was uh, Mr. Lane. And they were all retired old white folks. Now, when, when they died out or got to the point where they couldn't take care of themselves, of course, the kids came and got them and then sold the house. Right. Sold the property. Next thing you know, you looked up, it was black. So I looked up, and this was the move up. When you move from South Dallas and West Dallas and certain parts of Oak Cliff, your step up was to go to Pleasant Grove. You made it when you made it Pleasant Grove. Okay. Then, then it changed again to where your step up was to move to Mesquite or to Bob Spring. How you know it was a step up? There was no bus. That means the only way you could live out there was you had to have your own car. You had to have a house because there was a bunch of apartments everywhere. And the Hispanics moved in. Moved so into Pleasant Hispanics, Grove? The Hispanics moved into yes, Pleasant Grove? Okay. Moved into Pleasant Grove as the blacks began to move further out. They moved Mesquite and Bell Springs uh, more into DeSoto and Lancaster. They started moving out that way because now I'm finally getting what I need. You know, you know they're thinking they done made it. So... The, but why I got to give him this? I give the Hispanics this much, nothing else. The one thing that nobody ever really, I don't think anybody ever took into consideration was that in one house, you could have 15 to 20 people. And even when that 15 to 20 people were there, they did what they had to do, and then they would move right down the street. They would move right next door to them. Like the blacks used to do in the old days, you know, when you had the mother stay here, the daughter stay next to them, the grandmother stay next to them. Mm-hmm. The blacks had stopped doing that, but the Hispanics never did. That's how come when you look, a lot of them tell their cousin, here, right down the street here is another home down here. Let's go down here and talk to them. I'm real cool. They fix the move. Or I'm feeling to this. Or this house here is a rent house down. You know what I mean? And so they started moving in, and then, and this sounds real bad. I know it does. It's real, but I'm not as racist as it sounds. I'm really not. Listen. We became Americanized. Whites and black folks became Americanized. When I say that, that's because we started focusing more on income, how many people we have in our home, how we attain things, how we have better things. Hispanics don't believe in birth control in general. Catholics, they frowned upon it. So now you have Hispanics who are steady having those seven and eight kids that the blacks used to have. Now you got seven or eight kids. Well, what happens when those kids get older? Well, those kids moved close to mom, close to grandpa, close to Uncle Joe, close to Uncle, you know what I mean? Ain't da 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 They staying right here. And that's exactly what they do. They stay right here. And they ain't, they're not going anywhere. No, they weren't going anywhere. And, and that's why that number kind of grew right here. It's like, man, how, how does that, it, it, that's really interesting what, what you were just explaining to me because, you know, people said, oh no, there was the whites and then the blacks kind of moved in and then the, and then the Hispanics moved in. And I, and all I can think is like, how that, what does that mean? How does that happen? But what you just said makes sense. You know, they're kind of moving on up and getting out of there. And the bus thing, that's really interesting to me that 
that's the you know you made it when you get out to Balt Springs because there's no bus. That's that's really really interesting to me. Oh yeah, Lancaster the same way. There's no bus, you know, and and not to just take over, but I just want to give it to you so you can understand it fully from the way I see it. There were a lot of things that went on that when when the Hispanics did grow and all of a sudden their presence was established, that all of a sudden there was a lot of uh, antagonizing going on now because the young Hispanics who had always been up under the thumb of the blacks began to rebel because it was just too many of them. It's too many of them for you niggas to still be standing over us thinking you're running this, that, and other. This is our food. This is our neighborhood. This is our area. This is our... So then that's when you got your gang wars really started popping. Like right now to this day, UNC is almost non-existent. UNC? You know, Did you UNC? say UNC? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Oh, United Nigger Crip? Yeah, oh. they, they, you, yeah. <laughs> no, that's all right. I yeah, just, that, that, I'm a yeah. It's a gangster. Yeah, it's a GC set. It's a gangster crip set. You so, got you got to understand. It, you're talking to uh to the the whitest white man you've ever spoken to from from Michigan. So you have to explain some oh, things okay. to me. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I'm glad you told me that. I'll, I'll be I'll be a little bit more <laughs> more detailed. But yeah, they they about. Uh, Lo and I talked for nearly an hour. He explained to me that when his words, not mine, the whites moved out and the blacks moved in that that was the beginning of the downfall. Now, that's not because African Americans are any less of a class of citizens than white people. As Lowe put it, it was because along with the law-abiding African American citizens also came the South Dallas gangs. And I hope this puts into a little better perspective Danny Stanberry's comments last week, along with my somewhat controversial comments on Friday. A lot of this has to do with perspective. From an outsider, like Danny Stanberry's perspective, the timing of the neighborhood decline was when the, quote, blacks started moving in. And according to Lowe, that's accurate. That is when things started going downhill. But it's not why the neighborhood went downhill. The reason the neighborhood went downhill at that time was because of the gangs that followed with the African Americans and brought violence. In 1991 alone, there were over 500 murders in Dallas, with a large percentage of those occurring in Pleasant Grove. And as you heard Lowe explain, the violence got worse when the demographics shifted again in the late 90s. At that time, there were black gangs and Hispanic gangs feuding over Pleasant Grove turf. But while everyone's eyes were set on what was happening with the rival black and Hispanic gangs there was a minority population still in the shadows trying to reclaim the neighborhood. The Grove Rats. Steve motherfucking Cobb. A Grove Rat that left us with a lot of memories that will live with all of us fellow Grove Rats. Some we can tell, and a few that we cannot. So Steve Cobb is a man who was murdered not far from Pleasant Grove in 2014. I came across this Facebook post, sorry for the language by the way, while trying to track down the owner of the white Z28 Camaro. It was on this post that I first came across the term Grove Rats. While searching for the car and the people that were attached to the car last week, one name led to another, and to another, and then to another. But what I was finding was really interesting. All of the people that appear to be connected with a 1980 white Z28 Camaro that was known to be in the Pleasant Grove area in the early 90s were white guys. 
a close-knit group of white guys who called themselves the Grove Rats. Now let's back up for a minute to Jesse James Wendell's statement. He remembers seeing three black guys and one white guy abducting the woman into the white Camaro. But let's not forget the forensic examiner's testimony that of all of the hairs found on the crime scene, not just the three that were similar to the Eldridge's, but out of all the hairs found on the crime scene, not a single one was from an African-American donor. These are just a couple of thoughts to keep in the back of your mind as we move along here. Now, at this point in my investigation, I shifted to figuring out who these, quote, Grove Rats really are. As it turns out, not everyone agrees. Here's a portion of a conversation that I had with listener Tammy, who happened to live in Pleasant Grove in the late 80s. you graduated not from Grady Spruce High School, but I think you said you graduated from a rival school? Yes, I graduated from Samuel High School, which um, is Spruce's rival, and it's not too far from Spruce. It was the two, they're, they're basically the two high schools that are in Pleasant Grove. I knew some people from Spruce, but I did not know a ton of people. One of the reasons that you caught my attention, because you had, uh, we had reached out on Facebook and you'd sent me a message saying that you uh, were from the area at that time, Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you graduated from Samuel High School in 1986, right? Yes. One of the persons of interest that we're looking into right now is a man named and then he had a brother named Both of them went to the same high school you did, and I believe graduated two years ahead of you and was in your class or the class before. Do either of those names sound familiar? Actually, they both sound vaguely familiar. I feel like I do know those names. Um, I don't think that I was necessarily friends with them. Now, did any of the other names that we've mentioned on the podcast, have any of those rang a bell to you as far as Shane Quayle or Chris Parks or the Nelms brothers, uh, Jason or Chad Nelms? Any of those names sound familiar? No. Or and not Ronnie Blackwell either? Oh, Blackwell. That one sounds familiar. Okay. Ronnie Blackwell does sound familiar. I think he would have been close. He might have been a little younger than you. Ronnie Blackwell would have been Jesse James Swindell's cousin, the one they were out looking for that morning. Uh, okay, that one, that one does, Blackwell does sound familiar, but I don't know, I don't know how. How big was Samuel High School? Like, how, do you know, remember how big your graduating class was? Probably pretty big. There are so many high schools in Dallas, but none of them were really super large. So, and I would say that Spruce is about the same size as Samuel. So what I'm thinking about is remembering back to the high school parking lot. Do you remember ever seeing like a a white Z28 Camaro that one of maybe one of the students drove that was around the the high school parking lot around the neighborhood or anything? You know what? I do remember a white Camaro or Z28, but I don't know if it was necessarily at our school or if I just saw it around Pleasant Grove. Because it's been like a really long time. (laughs) You know, I want to say that I do remember a white Z28 somewhere around. I feel like I saw it in front of our school is what I'm, you know, like they're picking someone up or dropping someone off or something like that. Right. And that, you know, and that could have been who graduated two years before you picking up Mm -hmm. his brother. 
It could be, yeah, because I don't remember it really in the parking lot. I remember when, you know, like my mind's eye is telling me, I remember I see seeing it in front of the school. Like I said, like it was picking someone up or dropping someone off. That's certainly a possibility. And we know there, you know, first we had the report from Jesse James Swindell. Well, now, as we've been investigating for the last couple of weeks, we know there was, in fact, a white Z28 Camaro cruising that neighborhood because we have a bunch of pictures of it. We haven't revealed that on the podcast yet, but we've come across all these pictures with all these characters, these guys that uh, that we're looking into right now. And it's like, there's the mm-hmm. car. There's, they're all leaning against the white Z28. They're driving the Z28. They're at a picnic and the white Z28's in the background of all these photos. I think the one white Z28 we keep seeing and all these, there's like one of all these pictures. Uh, there's just the one. And it actually has, it's not blue like Ronnie Blackwell had said, but it's it's a white car and the stripe is red that goes along and says, hmm. and says Z28 on the bottom um, mm-hmm. or like an orangish red. What starts just to get creepier and creepier with this case is when you start connecting all these dots and, you know, imagine we're going through these photos and it's like, oh, oh my God. There is a 1980 white Z28 Camaro that says Z28 on the side right there with all these guys that we're looking at as people of interest. Like, holy crap. Like, this is (laughs) – things are starting to pan out here. Are you familiar with the term Grove Rats? Oh, yeah. Very familiar. Um, It actually has no negative connotations to it. It started somewhere in maybe like the 50s or something like that when Pleasant Grove started growing. And it was kind of a, just kind of a moniker of a source of pride among everyone who lived in Pleasant Grove. But yeah, so there's nothing negative associated with it. It's not anything that's free specific or it's not gang related or anything like that. It's just if you grew up in Pleasant Grove, you were a Grove rat. Okay, and that went on for decades. That that was a Oh, thing. it still goes on today, yeah. I, I don't know if the whole rat thing came from, like, the rat pack. From Tammy's perspective, a Grove rat is just a person who grew up in Pleasant Grove. And to an extent, I think that that's true. I also reached out on Facebook to a guy named Calvin Massingill. He's an admin on one of the many Grove rat Facebook groups. He defined Grove rats as follows. A Grove Rat is a person living in the poor southeast Dallas inner-city neighborhoods known collectively as Pleasant Grove. The term was first used in the 80s due to the living conditions of the Pleasant Grove slums where many rats live and that a rat would do anything to survive. As in, a human, Grove Rat, would also do anything to survive. Man ain't nothing but a bunch of Grove Rats live off St. Augustine Road. So it seems that the term Grove Rat does have a broad definition of anyone who grew up in Pleasant Grove. However, what I'm discovering is that there were and are a group of Grove Rats who have taken things to the next level. Here's Low Daniel again on the Grove Rats. Grove Rats back then tried to escalate to gang status and they couldn't. This basically was the white version of, of, of them trying to be, uh, to bond together against like I say, the Crips and the Bloods that had kind of jumped up over here, and then the Hispanic population in the nineties just starting to really boom as far as as far as the gang activity went. So you the know? so and the Grove Rats were trying to uh, would you say escalate as a as a to gang status? Basically, they were trying. Yeah, they were trying to get that. Okay. Yeah, the white folks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and the only thing we could equate it to was ABAC. You know, that's all we knew. ABAC. They tried to do Aaron Brotherhood. You know, that's the first thing we hollered. Ku Klux Klan. You know. Right. But just that point of having any kind of a authority or any kind of a sway in that area, because every every 
every gang, if you want to call it that, has some kind of sway in that area. Mm-hmm. And the sway comes from simply my presence. And the fear factor that goes with it. Even when er- other area gangs come into the play, you know, it's still shootouts, it's still the fighting, it's still the cutting, it's still the constant police presence, it's the breaking into stuff, it's the tagging everything. It goes down to that right there. And I do remember that the white guy had, they had started to get to a point where they, they had grouped up pretty, pretty deep. But it didn't, it just didn't escalate anywhere because, like I said, the, the blacks always maintained that they had their spot. And as long as you stay in your spot, everything's cool. As long as I can come in your spot and do what I want to do and then go back to my spot, it's still cool. They mm-hmm. didn't stop the black folks from coming in. It was the Hispanics who came in and kind of usurped it. You know what I mean? They just eased on up in there and all of a sudden. So according to Lowe, he saw the Grove Rats as a group of racist white guys who were trying to establish themselves as a gang, but they never really made it. At the end of the day, we have three different viewpoints on the Grove Rats here. Anyone who grew up in the Grove, those who grew up poor in the Grove in the 80s and beyond, and those who formed a quasi-gang in response to the Hispanic gangs moving into their neighborhood. Three different definitions, and all three, I think, are correct. But the Grove rats that I want to talk about are the guys that Lowe Daniels was speaking of. When I first started looking into the Grove rats... What I found is that there are lots of private Facebook groups, there's YouTube videos. The Grove Rats are kind of divided into different groups, but as a whole, they're very proud of being Grove Rats. Now, as you heard when I was talking to Tammy, we do have some solid leads at this point. We have some actual names of people that we know to be connected with a white Z28 Camaro at this point. The reason their names were bleeped out is because at this point, these people are nothing other than, I guess, persons of interest, and that's all. And it is not fair at all for me to be putting out on a podcast their names and discrediting their character unless we have some actual evidence they were involved. So I'm sure that's frustrating for some of you, but I'm not going to be putting anyone's names out there unless we have a reason to, and we don't at this point. But what I do know is that when I started watching some of these videos about the Grove Rats in the late 80s and the early 90s, a picture flashed across the screen that stopped me in my tracks. There was a group of kids leaning against a car, and the car they were leaning against was a 1980 white Z28 Camaro with Z28 written across the bottom of the door. I feel like this is a phrase that I've been overusing in the past few weeks, but I'll honestly say, again, shivers ran down my spine. Especially when I started connecting dots. Remember, we're looking for the... I keep calling him the elusive Shane Quayle. Well, as it turns out, I think I found out who Shane Quayle actually is and what his real name is. And as it turns out, he is pretty closely connected with the people that were leaning against that white Z28 Camaro. So to be clear here, before I move on further with this particular group of people, the Grove Rats in general consist of literally thousands of people who consider themselves Grove Rats because they grew up in Pleasant Grove. And for the most part, I'm sure these are all great people. And so I don't want everyone and anyone who's associated with the Grove Rats to be lumped into the things that I'm about to tell you next. Because within those Grove Rats, there is this subsection, the people that Lo Daniels was talking about. As I was doing online research and looking for all the social media posts and the YouTube videos and everything that's out there about the Grove Rats, I found one underlying theme. Racism. What you have is a lot of white guys, a lot of white guys with shaved heads, 
a lot of white guys with a German SS tattooed on themselves. Even guys with white power tattooed across their stomachs. The Confederate flag is everywhere, along with Harley-Davidson's, scantily clad women, guns, and you guessed it, vintage muscle cars. As I kept digging and digging and digging, up to as late as earlier this afternoon, I'm recording this right now at 4 o'clock on Friday, way later than normal because just one door keeps leading to another, to another, to another. And at some point when we're doing a real-time investigation, we have to stop and record the episode and then pick back up again. So that's where we're at now. But as I was going through all of these posts and videos and all these things, there were a few phrases that keep coming up along the way. Phrases like, Peckerwood, Featherwood, the number 1488. They're strewn throughout all of the different pictures and videos and everything, and I didn't know what they were. I even found one YouTube video titled Pleasant Grove Woods to Outlaws. I watched the video, and much like most of the other videos, it's just some old music and a bunch of pictures of grove rats. But in this video, the term Peckerwood and Featherwood and that number 1488 was flashed all over the place. Photos of people getting the SS tattooed onto themselves. So that caused me to do a little more research, and as it turns out, the term Peckerwood was originally a prison gang of Aryan white supremacists. So Peckerwood is basically a white supremacist. And a Featherwood, which the woman who created this video brags about herself being a Featherwood, is the girlfriend or wife of a Peckerwood. Now the number 1488 that keeps showing up in tattoos and on the screens and in photos all over the place also has a white supremacist meaning. So the 14 in 1488 is shorthand for the 14-word slogan. That slogan? We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. That's the 14. And then the second half of the number, 88, stands for Heil Hitler with H being the eighth letter of the alphabet. Together, the numbers form a general endorsement of white supremacy and its beliefs. So, needless to say, I was a little disturbed to find out that this particular group of loud and proud grove rats are horrible racists. I was more disturbed to find out, however, as I was watching the video, to see that a photo popped up of the man that I now know to be Shane or Sean Quayle. As I continue to dig deeper into this, it's clear that this is a tangled web. Every time I think I've found the center, it goes off into another direction. But at the end of the day, all of the angles of this investigation all come back together. And they all still tie in to the white Z-28 Camaro. A couple of days ago, I talked to Jesse on the phone. While I was talking to him, I asked him if he knew anything about these Grove Rats. And his immediate response was, yeah, there's one standing right here. He's my celly. I was kind of shocked, and he was shocked to find out that the Grove Rats may have had some kind of involvement in Kiao's murder. So I gave Jesse a list of names to pass along to his friend to see if he knew any of these people. And when I did, one of the names rang a bell to Jesse himself. It's one of these names that I can't say on the show right now but it's someone that Jesse had ran into at some of the drug houses where he would buy drugs. And according to Jesse, the Grove Rats, the Grove Rats that he was familiar with, who were the white supremacist Grove Rats, were all trying to make their living selling meth. And of course, that led me to a whole nother line of research 
And as it turns out, that does seem to be one of the main sources of income for the gang that never was, the Grove Rats. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. Our sound engineer is Shane Yoder. All music for today's episode was composed and scored by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. And thank you to our transcription team, Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller. And a big thank you to Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for creating and maintaining our website. I want to take this moment to let all of you know that this week there will be no Friday follow-up. You're welcome to send in your thoughts, theories to email through Twitter or even leave voicemails, but we will not be recording a Friday follow-up this week. With Mother's Day coming up, I've got something special planned for Becky. I also have another trip that's planned for two weeks from now, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week. It has to do with the investigation. So we just need a little bit of time to get ahead. So we're only going to record one episode next week, and that will be the main episode. So keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can join in the discussion in the Truth and Justice Podcast fan page. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.